Another episode of Grain Knockers is coming right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to season two of Grain Knockers. I'm here with my very first guest, two-year-old Ireland. Ireland, can you say Grain Knockers? Grain Knockers. That was very good. Say, okay, let's go. Go. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Grain Knocker Nation! Hey, what's up, Grain Knocker Nation? It's been quite a while, almost all of 2018, but we are finally here at Season 2 of Grain Knockers, and it's super cool. We have so much planned for this season, I cannot wait to just get episodes out again. It's been really fun, and I'll be honest, it was really good for me to take the time off. I've been doing a lot of builds, been really busy with the business, and figuring out what direction I wanted to take the podcast. So it was really good. I really appreciate you guys coming back and checking out season two. This is the first episode of season two. Every two weeks we'll come out with a new one. There'll be a total of 12 and then we'll take a small, smaller break. We'll take a smaller break than this one and we'll dive into season three. But this season is packed. I mean, this season has awesome companies. It has amazing peers and the goal hasn't changed. The goal is still to entertain and educate through having just really solid episodes. And I think we nailed it this season. I think it's going to be really good. So thank you for coming back for that. If you're not subscribed to your iTunes, your SoundCloud, your Google Play, or your other devices, please subscribe. That'll notify you when the next episodes come out. And that way you can get them right away. You can listen to them right away, get tuned in right away. Any giveaways that we have will be on Instagram and kind of ran through that. So make sure you follow us on Instagram as well. And there's a couple new things going on uh, format-wise. Uh, the intro is different. I really appreciated all the makers contributing to the intro last year. I just kind of want to do something different. That was my daughter. That was really cool. She actually just walked down one day. And I was like, you want to say grain knockers? And she's like, yes. And I was like, come on. So that's super cool. We also have a product spotlight we'll do each episode. Basically taking a product that I've had in the shop for a while I really like and I really want to just throw out there. It's not a paid thing or anything like that, but it's just something that I want people to be aware of. Uh, so we have a product spotlight. We also have a maker spotlight that we'll add every episode, just really shining in on some makers that might not have, you know, the five, 10,000 followers, but kill it all the time. In this episode, we have a friend of mine, Alex. We'll get joined up with him here in a second. Uh, but first let's get to that product spotlight and check out the first product of season two in our product spotlight. Today's product spotlight goes out to True Position Tools. You can find them at truepositiontools.com and also on Instagram at truepositiontools. I just got their hardware handle and knob jig. It now comes in a hard custom case. This jig is legit. It saves you so much time and energy for putting on your handles and your knobs perfectly every single time without having to measure or to mark. I mean, you seriously just set the jig up once, Go door to door and knock them out. It truly is a game changer. If it's something that you want to pick up, it retails for about 189 bucks, And uh, I really, really like it. And I recommend if you want an easy solution for putting on handles, knobs, and uh, a lot more, check out True Position Tools on their website and on Instagram. Good people, American made, and right here in America. Support small business, right? Check out True Position Tools. 
Yeah, that jig is super sweet. So um, at the end of the first season, we'll call it, I did announce that uh, we were going to have some upcoming guests. And those guests are all still on board to be in an episode and join Grey Knockers in the future. But I just want to be transparent here. I announced that Richard Karn was going to be with us and not thereafter. He started appearing on other people's stuff. I guess I had a good idea and some other people ran with it. And then after he agreed to come on the show, I didn't really hear back from him. So I'm, I'm not sure what, because maybe other people were giving him money and I was just like, hey, come on and talk to your people. I don't know what the deal is. There's an invitation for Richard Karn to come on Grey Knockers anytime, but it doesn't look like it's going to be a season two. And I apologize for that. That's just... How the cookies crumbled. But we have awesome guests coming up. Our, our first guest here on episode one is a friend of mine, and he has a lifetime knowledge of trees. So let's just get into it. Let's get to our first guest of season two. All right, guys. So joining Grey Knockers is a friend of mine from childhood. His name's Alex. He's been climbing trees, which seems like forever as far as I can remember. Alex, have you been in a trees pretty much your whole life or what? Longer than the child labor people would like to know. I wanted to bring Alex in today because I think he, every time I go to his farm, his family farm, I learn something. And I think, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast is to learn something. So Alex, thank you so much for coming on Grain Knockers. Of course. Thanks for having me. You're a full-time firefighter and you still do tree service? I do. Uh, we work like a 24-hour on, 40-hour off shift. So in my uh, my free time, I do lots of tree work still. Is it just tree removal or I know at least you're dabbling into milling your own stuff now? Yeah, we are. Uh, mostly tree trimming and removal. Uh, if we get uh, a nice log, we'll try to slab it up. If it's uh, not great, we'll turn it into firewood. I've always wondered this about what you do because we're friends. And I'm, I'm not sure if anyone else wonders this. Maybe they do, but I'll ask it. You ever go to remove a tree that doesn't need removing and refuse to remove it? I have. I'm a little bit of, uh, have some granola in me. You know, we live uh, in a part of the country and in a neighborhood specifically where we have 200 plus year old oak trees uh, that are pretty common. I try to get people to maybe trim them or shape them up a little bit uh, before they want to remove them uh, for aesthetic purposes. That being said, if something's dangerous and needs to come down, uh, then we do that as well. Yeah, I just always wondered, like, you know, this new family moves into town and they want to take down this beautiful maple or oak or walnut tree that doesn't need to be taken down. What, like, is there ethics as far as that goes? I guess it's per company. Sure, sure. Um, it is per company. Um, I'm a big fan of getting people to trim them. Uh, that helps me uh, business-wise as well. You will get some people that will tell you everything needs to come down because it looks like more work, and that way they can keep all their machines and guys going and, and make a lot more money. But uh, I try to – it's hard sometimes to tell people that what they want done doesn't need to be done, and I've flat out walked away from uh, a couple bids because of that. Well, good on you for that. I think that's uh, important. As a firefighter, what's the most rewarding thing – I don't know anything about what it's like to be a firefighter. What's the most rewarding thing? I think it is just simple. You get to help people for a living. Um, I have a four-year-old, and uh, he's very into firefighting and stuff. And uh, I heard him tell 
uh, one of his friends that his dad's a firefighter and helps people every day. So that I think is uh, pretty cool. And you don't know what they're going to be helping people with. Um, it could be uh, a lockout, a car accident, um, you name it. Uh, we, we typically do it. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for your service. That's sweet. Thank you. All right. So let's get back to woodworking. You dabble a little bit in the woodworking. I see you've got a new shop you're setting up. Tell people a little bit about what you're collecting in your shop. And you might know what I'm talking about, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't really call myself a, a woodworker. Uh, I'm not classically trained or uh, um, anything like that. I'm at the point where I'm doing some sawyering. Um, I'm making some what I think are are pretty uh, high-end uh, logs and slab material. Uh a lot with uh, some pretty good character and it helps me to collect uh, old machines as well. I have a bandsaw, uh, a Yates that I believe is from the early forties, uh, an old DeWalt radial arm saw. So uh, the heaven, heaven wood around uh, gives me an excuse to collect some of these old machines as well. Yeah, that's what, that's exactly what I was talking about is your, your tooling and the machines that you're picking up. They predate us. And I think it's cool because a lot of the stuff made back then, was made right. Not to say, not to take anything away from, you know, what's made today, because I think there's great things available for all of us. But when I pulled up on your farm and I saw a 10 foot tall bandsaw, which had, I think, a 40 inch wheel on it or something like that, I was like, Alex, what are you doing? It, it's, uh, it's impressive to look at. I, um, I peruse Craigslist every now and then. I got that, uh, for $250. It's, it's a, a Yates Model 50. I believe uh, it's got a 30-inch throat on it, 10-horse, um, three-phase motor. And um, it wasn't just, yeah, it's cool, I should get it. But uh, a lot of the times when we're milling wood, mostly because uh, we can get rid of them and everybody wants live edge. So we will um, take a log and we will basically uh, – cut it into all live edge, um, which we sell a lot of. And then if we want somebody that's going to have an order for dimensional lumber, uh, the plan is to get the old beast running so we can trim up the edges and uh, get some squared material out. Yeah, that's cool. Going back to what you said earlier, you said um, finding beautiful slabs with figure in it. And I'm wondering, when it's just a log sitting in the yard, is there a way to identify if you're going to have that curly burly maple with all the figure in it you know i know you can't see through the bark but as a tree guy is there stuff that you can identify from the outside to kind of tell what's on the inside or is it just you got to slice it open and find out uh, yeah yes and no a lot of what i look for uh as a guy that climbs and a lot of these trees i climb they're in people's backyards there's no access for machinery. So I'm, I'm trusting my life, uh, being tied onto this tree. So, uh, you get pretty good at knowing, um, what kind of wood is going to stay, uh, and what kind is a little bit more dangerous as far as being able to identify positive attributes, uh, internally, that's pretty tough to do. But, uh, every once in a while you can tell, um, from how the tree, uh, is grown or crotched out, or if it has a twist in it, you can tell, spots that might be compromised and uh, a little dangerous to uh, to work with. Right. And I'm sure one of the factors, too, is bugs, right? I mean, I've seen a lot of live edge 
pieces that were cut that have a lot of bug damage on the inside. And, and a lot of times that can be character and people like to fill it with epoxy and do whatever they want with it. From the outside looking in again, can you tell from what the bark is doing or any kind of damage from the outside if the inside is going to be corroded from bug damage? It's typically, in this part of the country, it's typically not too bad. Um, most of the bugs, and I'm thinking of the emerald ash borer specifically, uh, they work mostly right underneath the bark. Uh, they typically don't get more than God, an inch into the actual uh, wood of the tree underneath the bark. So that, um, for a while, um, we would cut that uh, those parts out where the, the pathways that the bugs made underneath the bark. But now we've had... Uh, pretty good response to some of the live edge stuff we're doing with uh, uh, the emerald ash borewood, wood and uh, it, we've gotten um, orders because of uh, because of the bug damage to it yeah any kind of displacement of what's either natural or I, mean, I guess bug damage is natural but you know what I'm trying to say any kind of disformity in the wood people are like I want that um, I haven't seen it with the emerald ash borer. Um, I believe that there is species of maple that if a bug gets into it at a certain age, it can cause some kind of uh, light burling or uh, check marking, but um, not uh, not terribly common in the stuff we deal with around here. Okay, so at this point, I'm going to ask you to identify markers on the outside of a tree to identify what kind of tree it is. I know this sounds very basic and a lot of us that are woodworkers can do this already. I know for a fact that if you point out an oak to me, nine times out of 10, I'll be able to tell you it's an oak, right? But there's a lot of people that don't. And that's true. And that's okay. Um, you know, we, um, easiest, I think, uh, and this is just me personally, uh, identifying, uh, things out of the leaf. Leaves are, are very different from one tree to another. And then if you just look at the, say five species of oak trees near where we live, um, the, the leaves are very discernible. That being said, if you go to the lumber yard and, uh, it would be harder to differentiate a red oak, uh, two by four from a white oak two by four just by looking at it. Um, there are, uh, telltale signs, uh, specifically with red oaks. Um, there's a lot of, they look like tiny pinholes in them. And if you cut off, um, a piece that's maybe, you know, a, a 32nd or a 64th in width, you can actually blow air through some of the wood. It's, uh, it's that porous. Well, what if I were to say, if you're looking at an ash tree and you're looking at the bark, what kind of characteristics of that bark tell you it's an ash tree? Let's say there's no leaves on the thing. Okay. White ash around here uh, are going to have a very diamond-shaped pattern to it, um, almost um, like a chain-link fence that's been squished a little bit. Um, also, you're going to have, I, and I think things that... Uh, uh, get lost. So the bark looks one way. Um, a species of tree will grow, uh, in a certain way. Um, so with ash trees, we, uh, white ash specifically, we tend to have the central stalk, um, go up, you know, 20 or 30 feet before it really starts branching out, uh, into, uh, co-leaders or, or limbs. Um, so we try to use multiple, uh, characteristics to determine what kind of tree is, especially when it doesn't have leaves this time of year. All right. Now I'm going to ask you another question. What 
is the worst part of a tree to build furniture with? Ooh, wow, that's a that's a tough one. Or is it um, per species? I mean, can you even? What I was thinking more or less was like a crotch piece would be stronger or less strong than the. I mean, obviously, if when I'm thinking about it, the trunk is like, yeah, I want the trunk. Sure. Yeah. And, and um, so when we're like, and I'll have to say that um, not being a, um, what I would call myself a, a woodworker per se, um, I wouldn't want to answer that. But from a guy that uh, mills lumber, uh, I'll tell you some spots to avoid. Um, when we're doing all these live edge slabs, uh, you get to the center of the tree near the pith. Uh, that's um, the dead center of the tree. It looks like the center of the bullseye. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, part of the wood you want to avoid using. Um, it's very weak, and then it can also move quite a bit, uh, even after it's pretty well dried. Um, you know, your best wood typically is going to be your quarter sawn pieces. I think um, guys are, are pretty familiar with that's going to be like. And it's there's there's ways to cut a log uh, where you maximize your quarter sawn pieces. Anytime you get near uh, a big crotch, that is going to be um, tough to tell. Sometimes, depending on how the crotch is and which way it's cut, uh, it can be pretty stable, very densely packed wood. But if you had a crotch that had um, uh, some atypical characteristics, like it was, uh, say the limb was super long or it had a... Uh, big drop towards the ground that's where you get some unpredictability to to that kind of wood in there okay good now let's talk a little bit about how you mill what's some of the equipment that you have over at the farm where you uh take a take a tree you just brought back and start chopping it up yeah so um the thing we probably use the most uh is a little uh wood miser lt15 i laugh because it may be older than me it's on its third engine, um, but man, those things just just rip through it. Um, our limiting factor with that is we can only mill, I believe it's up to 20 feet long, and we can't mill anything greater than 30 inches in diameter. So that, that would be a, a very good-sized tree, especially for being in the suburbs. And sometimes also how we get limited um, is if we're taking down a tree in somebody's backyard, it would be very difficult to get out a 20 foot uh, chunk of, you know, of walnut that's 30 inches in diameter in one piece, especially if we're limbing it, which is basically uh, cutting it into small pieces and lowering it by rope so we don't drop it on somebody's house. Right. Uh, but so uh, the, the, the wood miser is, has uh, some great characteristics. Uh, there's very little waste um, because the kerf of the blade is so thin. You can produce a lot of wood very fast. And seriously, the thing, it, it might be 40 years old, and it just continues to, to knock it out of the park um, with the, the least amount of maintenance. Um, recently, uh, I got uh, a Granberg mill for uh, some, some oddball pieces that we had. So I'm running um, a seven-foot, excuse me, a six-foot, 72-inch um, Granberg mill with a 1983 Husqvarna uh, 2100, uh, chainsaw. And that has been, uh, very interesting. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's all rips. Uh, this is before there's any like 
emissions or anything like that. Right. Like it, it is, it is pure power. It's like a small snowmobile engine, uh, that we're using to, to cut some live edge stuff. And, uh, that, uh, those, those are our two right there until I get that Yates 50 lined up to, uh, do some resawing. Yeah, the Grainberg stuff is really nice. And what's cool about the Alaskan mills is that they're pretty affordable compared to like a woodamizer. I mean, you can get a, without the chainsaw, you can get right. an Alaskan mill for what, 300 bucks? I got that six foot one. I think it was like 290 or 300, um, 200 bucks. I, of course, had a very large chainsaw. Uh, to begin with. So, um, but yeah, you know, these, I think, uh, an entry level wood miser now is 10, 15, 20 grand. Um, and you need to be cutting a lot of wood, um, to, uh, to pay for that thing with, uh, that Grandberg, it's super portable and it's very easy to use. You uh, got some of that, excuse me, some of that ash, um, on video. That was our first time using it. And without it, too much knowledge of anything other than a general idea of how the world works. We were able to, uh, to cut up, uh, I think about a 36, 38 inch slab of ash. That was nine feet long, um, in about two hours, which was, uh, pretty incredible. And do you think by yourself with a mill that big, you could, you could cut that log by yourself? I'm, I'm sure it would take a little bit more time, but is that a one person deal? Uh, when we did it, um, I had, uh, my old man helping me out just cause he was, had to, you know, come over and do his inspection of the, what is this newfangled product that we're going <laughs> to make boards with a chainsaw. I'm going to get that winch for it. And then I, I feel that I'd be able to cut just about any size piece that grows around here by myself. Yeah. It, it, it seems like a pretty, uh, pretty good setup. So there was two things that I noticed when we were cutting up that ash log. One was the chain, and maybe you could speak on the chain a little bit, but the second was the constant need for oil. Can you just touch on uh, why those two things are important when you're going to mill? We use, uh, if you're just Joe Schmo, uh tree guy with a chainsaw, um, you're using one kind of chain, basically. If you're going to go ahead and be running a Grandberg, you might want to invest in a different kind of chain. It's called a ripping chain. So if you think about, um, say a table saw, you got a ripping blade and a crosscut blade. Is that fair to say that everybody can kind of get that? Uh, it's very similar, um, with the chains on the chainsaw. So these ripping chains are meant to be cutting parallel with the grain whereas your typical chainsaw chain is meant to cut across the grain. And the ripping chains just make it a little bit easier um, to uh, facilitate that Grandberg in action. Uh, number two, as far as the oil goes, um, there's we, we typically run that Husqvarna with about a 48-inch bar on it that gets us to what it needs to. So now when I'm using the Grandberg, I have a 7-foot bar on it, so more bar equals more chain equals more oil. And uh, I'd rather use too much oil when we're doing this stuff and save a very expensive bar and a very expensive chain. Uh, and uh, oil's cheap, bars and chains are expensive. So get a, get an oiler for the end of it. Yeah, and so people know, I mean, um, what oil is doing is reducing the heat, less friction, and less warping on the bar, correct? Absolutely. And these bars are, they're, 
they're not magic. Um, you start heating up a bar too much and then add a little bit of torque to it and you can, you'll never be able to get it back, you know, uh, flush plumb and square again. So, uh, plenty of oil is a, uh, is a good way to go when using that Granberg. All right, Alex, what's the number one misconception about tree guys? What do your customers think is, uh, either the right way or something that happens that doesn't? Ooh, that's good. Um, I'd have to say it, it's it's among the uh, good work isn't cheap and cheap work isn't good. Uh, I'm not afraid to um, walk away from jobs. People have uh, seems to have some some pretty big misconceptions as to the cost of some of this stuff. Um, uh, when you're talking about uh, several million dollar uh, insurance policies and heavy equipment and just the uh, danger of some of this work. Uh, it, it costs money to do it. Um, that being said, you know, it's, it's like you want to put, put some new lights in your house. You can find uh, an electrician that your friends know and people have used before, or you can go to the Home Depot parking lot and find a guy that can uh, put some wires together for you. Um, that seems to be the biggest thing for me. Um, and it's fine. People are going to pay what they want to pay. I'm not there to tell them how they should live their life. I was going to say, I was going to say either money. And the second one I was going to say was cleanup. Uh, cleanup's tough. Um, you know, you're, you're taking, a, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate by us that, uh, it's not uncommon to have 60 or 80 foot trees around here, uh, in our little part of the Midwest. And if we take away 99% of, uh, the tree, there's still going to be plenty of sawdust and stuff like that. And, and we rake and we vacuum, uh, with some special tools and try to get it up. But, um, the, the cleanup and the site preservation is, is, uh, a big deal. All right. So, uh, what people don't know is because you don't know Alex and you haven't seen him. He's about an average size guy, I would say, uh, we're 37. And if you ever cross paths with Alex, Let's say a place like Charlie's and he arm wrestles you. You're going to lose. Okay. He's going to rip your arm off and I'm going to, I'm going to share a little secret. If he says, Oh, you don't want to do it right-handed. Let's do it left-handed. Don't fall for it because he is left-handed and your arm will come off twice as fast. Is that fair to say? I don't often lose arm wrestling matches. He's so strong. He, the guy literally still climbs trees. We're 37 years old. He's climbing trees. And I. this is the next thing I want to talk about, Alex. And we don't have to get into it too far, but Bill, I mean, your dad, ever since we were a kid, we kind of have like the same dad's like upbringing because my dad's yeah. an excavator, always on a machine, always working. Yep. Your dad, the same thing. Like as soon that as, as, soon as they get out. Yeah. Yeah. Just touch on Bill and kind of like... I think he might be a reason why you've gotten into this, why you can appreciate maybe some of the old machinery and definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, my, my dad, Bill, he was born during the war, like the real one. He was too old to be drafted into Vietnam. Uh, if that gives you any idea of how old he is. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he, um, with, uh, I didn't grow up on a farm per se, but I worked at our family farm throughout growing up. Um, you know, cliche learn the value of work i hated it like i was you know my friends are out goofing around and i'm uh you know picking up rocks or cutting trees down and stuff but it, it's definitely things uh that um i was fortunate that i learned 
Uh, and a lot of the things I learned from the farm and doing trees have helped me out immensely uh, in my other career. Um, he, uh, he, he's a worker. He, he, a lot of people work to an end. Um, he just works because that's all he knows how to do. Right. And then I guess, uh, I talked to a friend I haven't seen for a while and he asked me and I, I told him of my father that it would take a team of psychologists to follow him around for a couple years. And then they'd come up with something called Bill Frank syndrome. And, um, <laughs> That's, no, that's yeah, he's, he's, he's a machine. He's, uh, in his seventies. Um, at least he stopped climbing trees himself, but, uh, okay. He, but that had to have been within the last down. year. When did he stop climbing trees? Cause a couple years ago he was still climbing trees. Yeah. I'd say like 72, maybe he stopped climbing trees. 72 years old. Yeah. And 72 how, climbing trees. How old is he right now? God, where's my abacus? He's, 75 or six. I just passed the farm the other day. He's in the, uh, he's in the skidster. Yeah. Just moving logs around, picking them up, setting them down. Right. Um, uh, I'm trying to get him to do some, some sawyering for me and, uh, we're having mixed results, but uh, <laughs> he, um, is a wizard on that, uh, wood miser, um, taught me how to get it dialed in. Um, I've kind of, showed him more efficient ways uh, with less waste as far as trying to get a lot of quarter sawn pieces out of it, which he begrudgingly accepted. But uh, yeah, quite a, quite a guy, uh, a true tree man. And, um, you know, he was, I climbed with safety ropes and all, you know, redundant systems and stuff. And uh, he didn't start like that. He was just out there with a, it's called a class one harness, which is a, you'd see from like a, a lineman, you know, climbing a, a telephone pole. Right. So it goes just around your waist, but he's doing this 60 feet in the air, you know, 40 feet away from the stalk. If, if what he was sitting on were to break, it would have been uh lights out bill. But uh, yeah, a uh, uh, tenacious old man that uh, spends too much time in the trees. What's one thing now that you're a father and you have two young boys that you take away from those days on the farm where, you didn't want to be there, and now you can see the value in it. How do you yeah. think you're going to teach your boys the same way that you were taught, or how are you going to go about it? I don't. That's you know, I've, I've pondered that. It well, uh, pondered that myself. Um, my oldest is four right now, so we haven't gotten into too much of that. But you know, he's always helping me rake leaves, clean up around the house. Um, it, it's definitely something I want to instill in my sons. Is that uh, you have to know how to work. Right. Um, like that's, that's number one. That way you'll, you'll never be hungry. You'll always have a place to live if you know how to work. But I think we're going to get into, uh, uh, what does that mean? Um, you know, I'm happy to see a, a rise in, uh, the blue collar work with your hands, uh, mentality again. I think that is, uh, what's going to help out the generation that my sons are in. Um, you know, everyone who goes to college now, everyone has a bachelor's degree, but you know, it seems like the guys making money are the guys that are welding and, uh, you know, linesmen. So I, I want them to know how to work for sure. Try to be a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, more flexible. I think there's a uh, hundred ways to skin a cat. You just got to find out the best way that you can do it. 
Yeah, exactly. It's well said. I know that now that I have a nine-year-old, uh, work ethic is playing a role. And, you know, mom has one idea, dad has another. And it's just important to hold your ground sometimes to be like, listen, I know if you learn a, a life lesson growing up and it is apparently influencing your life, you have to pass that along to the next generation. And I think, you know, we're kind of in an age right now where uh, it is coming back because it was so lost. So it's good to see and it's good to hear. And there's a couple more things, Alex, that uh, we do here on Grain Knockers. It's just random questions, basically, and it has nothing to do with woodworking uh, or cutting down trees or live edge at all. If you're down for that, I'd like to ask you a couple of them. Let's go. Since you're from the Chicagoland area, this one should be easy. Is New York pizza better than Chicago pizza? Yes or no? No. I kind of figured that one, but, you know, I just got to throw it out there. Of course. Alex, would you rather your sons become firefighters or tree workers? Ooh. Ooh. I'd have to say firefighters. That's good. Yeah. All right. More, more ability to goof around. Um, <laughs> plenty plenty of, of dangerous stuff. I've, I've even, um, my, my two careers have crossed paths. I had to on a, a fire call take a take a guy out of a tree. Oh, a, a human was stuck in a tree. One of my uh, uh, competitors. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, yeah, that was interesting. But yeah, wow. uh, firefighting's uh, a great career. Uh, you get to help people. Like it, it's it's great. Um, you learn a lot, and um, as as much as I enjoyed the. Uh, fun and uh, unpredictability of being self-employed um sometimes it's nice to have that uh steady paycheck oh no five jeez oh, <laughs> i completely understand yeah as, as as a yeah as a self-employed guy yourself i'm sure you can uh appreciate that i remember going starting as a firefighter just being i'd been self-employed you know basically my whole life before that and it's like man all i gotta do is come here and do what this guy tells me to do and they pay me like okay Let's do this. Yeah, I think uh, I think I need to apply. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that scenario where you're a firefighter, you get called out to a rescue, okay. and one of your competitors is trapped in a tree that you need to get out. Just tell me that someone videotaped it, and you're going to use it as a promo for your side biz. <laughs> um this is probably eight years ago. So I, I, I wasn't sure if it was on video. Um, it didn't, uh, turn out well, we'll say it, we'll say it like that. Um, yeah, so there, there, there was no video, uh, documentation of this, but, um, what's, what's interesting with, with tree guys and I'm sure, um, there's some other guys that work hard, like, uh, electricians or plumbers that get it. You know, we see each other driving down the road and, everyone's giving each other that head nod because uh you know it's hard out there and you're working hard and you just want to make a little bit bit of money and and go home and uh be able to spend some time with your kids so there's a lot of uh friendly competition uh in in the tree world all right alex thanks so much for coming on the grain knockers um i want you to leave us with something i want you to tell our listeners if you were to if you were to give one piece of advice to anyone that is either going into the slab game, you know, they want to get some equipment and make their own slabs or do any of that, or if they want to get into the tree removal business or tree trimming business, 
what's one piece of advice that you think would help um, them the most? Ooh, that's that's a tough one. I'm going to say um, buy the good stuff. Do your homework. Um, there's different stuff out there. There's They make different skid steers. They make different chainsaws. They make different lumber mills. Um, the good stuff costs what it costs for a reason. And if you buy good stuff and take care of it, uh, that's going to help you out until you're done working. Amen, brother. I, I can appreciate that so much. It's definitely a lesson I learned for sure. All right, Alex, thank you so much. Gray knockers. That's Alex fireman. We all appreciate you, sir. <laughs> thank you, Bill. Super cool of Alex to join us today and give us a little bit of knowledge from his lifetime of work in the forest and trees and communities and species of trees. And yeah, thanks a lot, Alex. Appreciate that. All right. So, um, Moving on, we are going to do our maker feature now. The featured maker for episode one, season two, is going to go out to a guy I met at the NPS show, uh, which we'll talk a lot more about in a couple episodes coming up. But I met this guy, and he's a very big, tall guy. He's burly, and he's hairy, and he's a little wild. His name's Brock, and he owns a company called Brand Reserve, B R A N. D-R-E-S-E-R-V-E. Go follow him. He's got uh, just over 2,000 followers. He's out of Minnesota, and he makes in some incredible stuff. A lot of reclaimed stuff, a lot of live-edge stuff, and um, solid builder. Go follow him, Rand Reserve. He is our featured maker of episode one. And if you guys need a logo, there's only one guy to hit up. It's Will at Organic Creations Woodshop. He did both my... William Patrick Customs logo. He did my Grain Lockers logo. If it's a one-stop shop for design, and uh, Will's a great guy. He'll take care of you. He's done hundreds and hundreds of logos for everyone in the makers community, so it's a pretty cool opportunity for you to get a custom logo uh, from a great guy, small business. I think, yeah, they're out of Ohio, so hit Will up, Organic Creations Woodshop. He'll take care of you for sure and get you a sweet new logo. Uh, in a, the next couple of weeks, keep your eye out on Instagram at Grain Knockers. I'm going to be posting a link for the very first chance for you to get a Grain Knockers t-shirt. This has never happened before. Uh, the Grain Knocker t-shirt will be a limited run. So make sure that when you see the link, it's going to be like 20 or 25 bucks. And it's your one-time chance to grab a Grain Knockers t-shirt. It's going to be sweet. Show your Grain Knocker Nation pride and rep the shirt. It's going to be sick. It's going to be fun. Uh, anytime you're listening to Grain Knockers, make sure that you share it in your story and tag Grain Knockers. The more exposure that we get, the more we grow. The more we grow, the more opportunities we get to have company and guests on, and that helps everybody. So uh, for episode one, season two, welcome back, Grain Knocker Nation. It's full steam ahead. You haven't seen nothing yet. It's Grain Knocker Nation.